0: section three of lives of the queens of england volume six by agnes and elizabeth strickland this librivox recording is in the public domain elizabeth chapter one part three on the sixteenth of january the admiral was arrested on a charge of high treason having boasted that he had ten thousand men at his command and suborned sherrington the master of the mint at bristol to coin a large sum of false money, to support him in his wild projects. He was committed to the tower, and not only his servants, but the principal persons in the household of the princess Elizabeth, were also arrested, and subjected to very strict examination by the council, in order to ascertain the nature of the admiral's connection with the princess, and how far she was implicated in his intrigues against the government in fact elizabeth herself seems to have been treated as a prisoner of state while these momentous investigations were proceeding for though she made earnest supplication to be admitted to the presence of the king her brother or even to that of the protector in order to justify herself she was detained at her house at hatfield under the especial charge of sir thomas tyrwhit who certainly was empowered by the council to put her and her household under restraint very distressing must this crisis have been to a girl in her sixteenth year who had no maternal friend to counsel and support her under circumstances that were the more painful because of the previous scandal in which she had been involved at the time of her separation from her royal stepmother on account of the free conduct of the admiral all the particulars of his coarse familiarity and indelicate romping with elizabeth had been cruelly tattled by her governess mrs katharine ashley to parry the cofferer and were by him disclosed to the council and confirmed by the admissions of mrs ashley the fact that notwithstanding those things elizabeth was receiving the clandestine addresses of this bold bad man almost before Queen Catherine was cold in her grave, was injurious to her reputation and caused her to be treated with less respect and consideration from the council than ought to have been shown to a royal lady of her tender age and the sister of the sovereign. Sir Robert Tyrwhit first announced to her the alarming tidings that Mrs. Ashley and her husband, with Perry, had all been committed to the tower on her account, on which he says, Her grace was marvelously abashed, and did weep, very tenderly, a long time, demanding whether they had confessed anything. Turwit assured her, that they had confessed everything, and urged her to do the same. Elizabeth was not to be thus easily outwitted, and Turwit then endeavored, to terrify her by requiring her, to remember her honor, and the peril that might ensue, for she was but a subject an innuendo that might have been somewhat alarming to so young a girl considering her mother though a queen had died by the sword of the executioner but the lofty spirit of elizabeth was not to be thus intimidated and turwit told somerset that he was not able to get anything from her but by gentle persuasion whereby he began to grow with her in credit for i do assure your grace continues he she hath a good wit, and nothing is to be gotten from her, but by great policy. She was, however, greatly disturbed when he told her that Perry and Mrs. Ashley had both confessed, and in confirmation showed her the signatures to their depositions, on which she called Perry false wretch. Turwood told her what sort of woman Mrs. Ashley was, and assured her that if she would open all things, that all the evil and shame should be ascribed to them, and her youth taken into consideration by his majesty, the protector, and the whole council. But in no way, continues he, will she confess any practice by Mrs. Ashley, or the cofferer, concerning my lord admiral, and yet I do see it in her face, that she is guilty, and yet perceive that she will abide more storms, ere she will accuse Mrs. Ashley on the twenty-eighth of january turwit informs the protector that he has in obedience to his letter of the twenty-sixth practised with her grace by all means and policy to induce her to confess more than she had already done in a letter which she had just written to the duke with her own hand which contained all that she was willing to admit and turwit expresses his conviction that a secret pact had been made by the princess mrs ashley and perry never to confess anything to the crimination of each other and if so continues he it will never be drawn from her grace unless by the king her brother or the protector the following is the letter written by elizabeth to somerset which tallies as turwick very shrewdly observes most remarkably with the depositions of ashley and perry and induces him to think that they had all three agreed in their story in case of being questioned or to use his own expression set the note before the lady elizabeth to the lord protector my lord your great gentleness and good will towards me as well in this thing as in other things i do understand for the which, even as i ought so i do give you humble thanks and whereas your lordship willeth and counselleth me as an earnest friend to declare what I know in this matter, and also to write what I have declared to master Turwit, I shall most willingly do it. I declared unto him first, that after the cofferer had declared unto me what my lord admiral answered, for Allen's matter, and for Durham place, that it was appointed to be a mint, he told me that my lord admiral did offer me his house, for my time being, with the king's majesty, and further said, and asked me, if the council did consent that i should have my lord admiral whether i would consent to it or no i answered that i would not tell him what my mind was and i further inquired of him what he meant by asking me that question or who bade him say so he answered me and said nobody bade him say so but that he perceived as he thought by my lord admiral inquiring whether my patent were sealed or no and debating what he spent in his house and inquiring what was spent in my house that he was given that way rather than otherwise and as concerning cat ashley by which familiar name elizabeth always speaks of her governess she never advised me to it but said always when any talked of my marriage that she would never have me marry neither in england nor out of england without the consent of the king's majesty your graces and the council's and after the queen was departed a cool way by the by of alluding to the death of queen Catherine parr from whom elizabeth had in her tender childhood received the most essential offices of friendship and maternal kindness when i asked of her what news she heard from london she answered merrily they say your grace shall have my lord admiral and that he will shortly come to woo you and moreover i said unto him that the cofferer sent a letter hither that my lord said that he would come this way as he went down into the country then i bade her write as she thought best and bade her show it to me when she had done so she wrote that she thought it not best that the admiral should come for fear of suspicion and so it went forth that is the letter was sent and the lord admiral after he had heard that asked the cofferer why he might not come to me as well as to my sister and then I desired Cat Ashley to write again, lest my lord might think that she knew more in it than he, that she knew nothing, but only suspected, and I also told Master Turwit that, to the effect of the matter. Here Elizabeth evidently alludes to the report of his intended courtship. I never consented to any such thing, without the council's consent thereto, and as for Cat Ashley and the cofferer, they never told me that they would practice it, for example compass the marriage these be the things which i declared to master Tyrwhit, and also whereof my conscience beareth me witness which i would not for all earthly things offend in any thing for i know i have a soul to be saved as well as other folks have wherefore i will above all things have respect unto this same if there be any more things which i can remember i will either write it myself or cause mr Tyrwhit to write it master turwit and others have told me that there goeth rumours abroad which be greatly both against my honour and honesty which above all other things i esteem which be these that i am in the tower and with child by my lord admiral my lord these are shameful slanders for the which besides the great desire i have to see the king's majesty i shall most heartily desire your lordship that i may come to the court after your first determination that i may show myself there as i am written in haste from hatfield this 28th of january your assured friend to my little power elizabeth this letter which is in the haynes edition of the burleigh state papers entitled the confession of the lady elizabeth's grace is one of the most interesting documents connected with her personal history there is a curious mixture of childlike simplicity and diplomatic skill in her admissions with that affectation of candour which often veils the most profound dissimulation her endeavours to screen her governess are however truly generous and the lofty spirit with which she adverts to the scandalous reports that were in circulation against her reputation is worthy of the daughter of a king and conveys a direct conviction of her innocence there is no affectation of delicacy or mock modesty in her language she comes to the point at once like an honest woman and in plain english tells the protector of what she had been accused and declares that it is a shameful slander and demands that she may be brought to court that her appearance may prove her innocence it is to be remembered that elizabeth was little turned of fifteen when this letter was penned On the 7th of February, Turwitt succeeded in drawing a few more particulars from Elizabeth, which he forwarded to the Duke of Somerset, enclosed in the following note to his grace. I do send all the articles I received from your grace, and also the Lady Elizabeth's confession withal, which is not so full of matter as I would it were, nor yet so much as I did procure her to, but in no way will she confess that either Mrs. Ashley or Perry, willed her to any practices with my lord admiral either by messages or writing they all sing one song and so i think they would not unless they had set the note before february seventh hatfield in elizabeth's hand Cat ashley told me that after the lord admiral was married to the queen if he had had his own will he would have had me afore the queen then i asked her how she knew that she said i knew it well enough both by himself and others the place where she said this i have forgotten but she spoke to me of him many times then tyrwhit wrote the rest of the confession but under the inspection of the princess as follows another time after the queen was dead cat ashley would have had me to have written a letter to my lord admiral to have comforted him in his sorrow because he had been my friend in the queen's lifetime, and would think great kindness therein. Then I said, I would not, for he needs it not. Then said Cat Ashley, if your grace will not, then I will. I remember I did see it, for example, the consolatory letter Elizabeth thought so superfluous to the widower. But what the effect of it was, I do not remember. Another time I asked her, what news was at london and she said the voice went there that my lord admiral seymour should marry me i smiled at this and replied it was but a london news one day she said he that fain would have had you before he married the queen will come now to woo you i answered her though peradventure he himself would have me yet i think the privy council will not consent but I think by what you said, if he had had his own will, he would have had me. I think there was no let, or hindrance, of his part, but only on that of the council. Howbeit, she said another time, that she did not wish me to have him, because she who had him was so unfortunate. Elizabeth then informs the Duke that Perry asked her, if the council consented, whether she would have the Lord Admiral or no i asked him pursues she what he meant by that question and who bade him ask me he replied no one but he gathered by questions asked by the lord admiral before that he meant some such thing i told him it was but his foolish gathering she says perry brought a message from the lord admiral advising her first to get her patent sealed and sure and then he would apply to the council for leave to marry her Likewise that the lord-admiral wished her to reside at ashridge because it was in his way when he went into the country to call and see her elizabeth signed this confession with her own hand and very blandly concludes the paper with an assurance to somerset that if she remembered any more she would be sure to forward the items to him it was doubtless for the purpose of shaking elizabeth's confidence in mrs ashley that Turwhit showed her the deposition of the trusty official which revealed all the particulars of the liberties the admiral had presumed to offer to her while she was under the care of his late consort queen katharine elizabeth appeared greatly abashed and half breathless while reading the needlessly minute details which had been made before the council of scenes in which she had been only a passive actor but as Mrs. Ashley had abstained from disclosures of any consequence, touching her more recent intercourse with Seymour, she expressed no displeasure, but when she had read to the end, carefully examined the signatures, both of Catherine Ashley and Perry, as if she had suspected Turwitt of practicing an imposition. Though it was plain, observes he, that she knew both at half a glance. In one of Turwitt's letters to Somerset, he says, that master beverley and himself had been examining the cofferer's accounts which they find very incorrect and the books so indiscreetly kept that he appears little fit for his office that her grace's expenses are at present more than she can afford and therefore she must perforce make entrenchments she was desirous that the protector should not appoint any one to be her cofferer till she had spoken to him herself for she thought an officer of less importance would serve for that department and save in her purse a hundred pounds a year this proved to be only an excuse on the part of the young lady to keep the office open for perry whom she took the first opportunity of reinstating in his post although she had been given full proof of his defalcations and so far was she from resenting the nature of his disclosures with regard to the improper confidence that had been reposed in him by her tattling governess that she afterwards on her accession to the throne appointed him the comptroller of her royal household and continued her preferment to him and his daughter to the end of their lives conduct which naturally induces a suspicion that secrets of greater moment had been confided to him secrets that probably would have touched not only the maiden fame of his royal mistress but placed her life in jeopardy and that he had preserved these inviolate the same may be supposed with respect to mrs ashley to whom elizabeth clung with unshaken tenacity through every storm even when the council dismissed her from her office and addressed a stern note to her grace the lady elizabeth apprising her that they had in consequence of the misconduct of mrs katharine ashley removed her from her post and appointed the lady turwit to take her place as governess to her grace and requiring her to receive her as such the disdainful manner in which the young lioness of the tudor plantagenet line received the new duenna who had been contumaciously put in authority over her by her royal brother's counsel is best related in the words of sir robert tyrwhit himself who in his twofold capacity of spy and gaoler seems to have peculiar satisfaction in telling tales of the defenceless orphan of anne boleyn To the powerful brother of her murdered mother's rival, Jane Seymour. Pleaseth your grace to be advertised, he writes, that after my wife's repair hither, she declared to the Lady Elizabeth's Grace, that she was called before your grace and the council, and had a rebuke, that she had not taken upon herself the office to see her well-governed in the lieu of Mrs. Ashley. This reproof to Lady Turwitt, must have had reference to the time when all the parties concerned were living under the roof of queen katharine parr whose lady-in-waiting lady tyrwhit was the lady elizabeth replied that mrs ashley was her mistress and that she had not so demeaned herself that the council should now need to put any more mistresses unto her whereunto pursues tyrwhit my wife answered seeing she did allow mrs ashley to be her mistress she need not to be ashamed to have any honest woman to be in that place she took the matter so heavily that she wept all that night and lured all the next day till she received her letter and then she sent for me and asked me whether she were best to write to you again or not i said if she would follow the effect of your letter meaning if she would comply with the injunctions contained in it i thought it best that she should write but in the end of the matter i perceived that she was very loath to have a governor and to avoid the same she said that the world would note her to be a great offender having so hastily a governor appointed over her and all is no more than that she fully hopes to recover her old mistress again the love she yet beareth her is to be wondered at i told her Elizabeth that if she would consider her honour and the sequel thereof she would considering her years Make suit to your grace to have one, rather than to be without one a single hour. She cannot digest such advice in no way, continues Sir Robert, dryly. But if I should say my fantasy, it were more meet she should have two than one. He then complains, that although he favoured her grace with his advice, as to the manner in which she should frame her reply to Somerset, she would in no wise follow it, but writ her own fantasy and in the right of it, too, we should say, considering the treacherous nature of the counsellor, who, serpent-like, was trying to beguile her into criminating herself, for the sake of employing her evidence against the luckless admiral, who was at that very time struggling in the toils of his foes, and vainly demanding the privilege of a fair trial. That Elizabeth did not contemplate his fall, and the plunder of his property without pain, Turwood bears witness, She beginneth now to droop a little, writes that watchful observer. By reason that she heareth, my lord-admiral's houses be dispersed. And my wife telleth me now, that she cannot hear him discommended, but she is ready to make answer, which, continues Turwitt, she hath not been accustomed to do, unless Mrs. Ashley were touched, whereunto she was ever ready to make answer, vehemently in her defence the following is the letter which elizabeth addressed to somerset instead of that which his creature turwit had endeavoured to beguile her into writing it is marked with all the caution that characterised her diplomatic correspondence after the lessons of worldcraft in which she finally became an adept were grown familiar to her she however very properly assumes the tone of an injured person with regard to the scandalous reports that were in circulation against her and demands that he and the council should take the requisite steps for putting a stop to those injurious rumours letter from the lady elizabeth to the protector somerset my lord having received your lordship's letters i perceive in them your good will towards me because you declare to me plainly your mind in this thing and again for that you would not wish that i should do anything that should not seem good unto the council for the which thing I give you most hearty thanks. And whereas, I do understand, that you do take an evil part, the letters that I did write unto your lordship, I am very sorry that you should take them so, for my mind was to declare unto you plainly, as I thought, in that thing which I did, also the more willingly, because as I write to you, you desired me to be plain with you in all things. And as concerning that point that you write, that i seemed to stand in my own wit in being so well assured of mine own self i did assure me of myself no more than i trust the truth shall try and to say that which i know of myself i did not think should have displeased the council or your grace and surely the cause why that i was sorry that there should be any such thing about me was because that i thought the people will say that i deserved through my lewd demeanour to have such a one and not that i mislike anything that your lordship or the council shall think good for i know that you and the council are charged with me and that i take upon me to rule myself for i know that they are most deceived that trusteth most in themselves wherefore i trust you shall never find that fault in me to the which thing i do not see that your grace has made any direct answer at this time and seeing that they make so evil reports already shall be but an increasing of these evil tongues howbeit you did write that if i would bring forth any that had reported it you and the council would see it redressed which thing though i can easily do it i would be loth to do because it is mine own cause and again that it should be but a bridging of an evil name of me that am glad to punish them and so get the evil will of the people which thing i would be loth to have but if it might seem good to your lordship and the rest of the council to send forth a proclamation into the countries that they refrain their tongues declaring how the tales be but lies it should make both the people think that you and the council have great regard that no such rumours should be spread of any of the king's majesty's sisters as i am though unworthy and also that i should think myself to receive such friendship at your hands as you have promised me although your lordship hath shown me great already howbeit i am ashamed to ask it any more because i see you are not so well-minded thereunto and as concerning that you say that i give folks occasion to think in refusing the good to uphold the evil i am not so simple understanding nor would that your grace should have so evil an opinion of me that i have so little respect of my own honesty that i would maintain it if i had sufficient promise of the same and so your grace shall prove me when it comes to the point and thus i bid you farewell desiring god always to assist you in all your affairs written in haste from hatfield this twenty first of february your assured friend to my little power elizabeth superscribed to my very good lord my lord protector to such a horrible extent had the scandals to which elizabeth adverts in this letter proceeded that not only was it said that she had been seduced by seymour and was about to become a mother but that she had actually borne him a child from the manuscript life of jane dormer duchess of feria who had been in the service of her sister the princess mary we learn that there was a report of a child born and miserably destroyed but that it could not be discovered whose it was a midwife testified that she was brought from her house blindfold to a house where she did her office and returned in like manner she saw nothing in the house but candlelight and only said it was the child of a very fair young lady this wild story was but a modern version of an ancient legend which is to be met with among the local traditions of every county in england in border minstrelsy and ballad lore and even in oriental tales and it had certainly been revived by some of the court gossips of edward the sixth reign who thought proper to make the youthful sister of that prince the heroine of the adventure the council had offered to punish any one whom elizabeth could point out as the author of the injurious rumours against her character and her observation in her letter to somerset in reply to this offer that she should but gain an evil name as if she were glad to punish and thus incur the ill-will of the people which she should be loath to have is indicative of the profound policy which throughout life enabled this great queen to win and retain the affections of the men of england popularity was a leading object with elizabeth from her childhood to the grave and well had nature fitted her to play her part with eclat in the splendid drama of royalty on the fourth of march fifteen forty nine the bill of attainer against thomas seymour baron sudley lord admiral of england was read for the third time in the house of lords and though his courtship of elizabeth formed one of the numerous articles against him and it must have been a season replete with anxious alarm and anguish to herself she generously ventured to write an earnest appeal to somerset in behalf of her imprisoned governess mrs ashley and her husband who were as she had every reason to suppose involved in the same peril that impended over her rash lover with whom they had been confederate her letter is written in a noble spirit and does equal credit to her head and heart and is a beautiful specimen of special pleading in a girl of fifteen letter from elizabeth to the protector somerset my lord i have a request to make unto your grace which fear has made me omit till this time for two causes the one because i saw that my request for the rumors which were spread abroad of me took so little place which thing when i considered i thought i should little profit in any other suit howbeit now i understand that there is a proclamation for them for the which I give your grace and the rest of the council most humble thanks. I am the bolder to speak for another thing, and the other was, because, perventure your lordship and the rest of the council, will think that I favour her evil doing, for whom I shall speak, which is Catherine Ashley, that it would please your grace and the rest of the council, to be good unto her, which thing I do, not to favour her in any evil, for that I would be sorry to do, but for these considerations that follow, the which hope doth teach me in saying, that I ought not to doubt, but that your grace and the rest of the council, will think that I do it for other considerations. First, because she hath been with me a long time, and many years, and hath taken great labor and pain in bringing me up, in learning and honesty, and therefore I ought of very duty speak for her. For St. Gregory saith, that we are more bound to them that bringeth us up well than to our parents for our parents do that which is natural for them that bringeth us into this world but our bringers up are a cause to make us live well in it the second is because i think that whatsoever she hath done in my lord admiral's matter as concerning the marrying of me she did it because knowing him to be one of the council she thought he would not go about any such thing without he had the council's consent thereunto for i have heard her many times say that she would never have me marry in any place without your graces and the council's consent the third cause is because that it shall and doth make men think that i am not clear of the deed myself but that it is pardoned to me because of my youth because that she i love so well is in such a place thus hope prevailing more with me than fear hath won the battle and i have at this time gone forth with it which i pray god be taken no otherwise than it is meant written in haste from hatfield this seventh day of march also if i may be so bold not offending i beseech your grace and the rest of the council to be good to master ashley her husband which because he is my kinsman i would be glad he should do well your assured friend to my little power elizabeth to my very good lord my lord protector there is something truly magnanimous in the manner in which elizabeth notices her relationship to the prisoner ashley at the time when he was under so dark a cloud and it proves that the natural impulses of her heart were generous and good the constitutional levity which she inherited from her mother appears at that period of her life to have been her worst fault and though afterwards she acquired the art of veiling this under an affectation of extreme prudery her natural inclination was perpetually breaking out and betraying her into follies which remind one of the conduct of the cat in the fable who was turned into a lady but never could resist her native penchant for catching mice on the twentieth of march seymour was brought to the block he had employed the last evening of his life in writing letters to elizabeth and her sister with the point of an aglet which he plucked from his hose being denied the use of pen and ink these letters which he concealed within the sole of a velvet shoe were discovered by the emissaries of the council and opened no copies of these interesting documents have apparently been preserved but bishop latimer in his sermon in justification of the execution of the unhappy writer describes them to be of a wicked and dangerous nature tending to excite the jealousy of the king's sisters against the protector somerset as their great enemy when elizabeth was informed of the execution of the admiral she had the presence of mind to disappoint the malignant curiosity of the official spies who were watching to report every symptom of emotion she might betray on that occasion and merely said this day died a man with much wit and very little judgment although this extraordinary instance of self-command might by some be regarded as a mark of apathy in so young a woman there can be no doubt that elizabeth had been entangled in the snares of a deep and enduring passion for seymour passion that had rendered her regardless of every consideration of pride caution and ambition and forgetful of the obstacle which nature itself had opposed to a union between the daughter of anne boleyn and a brother of jane seymour that elizabeth continued to cherish the memory of this unsuitable lover with tenderness not only after she had been deprived of him by the acts of the executioner but for long years afterwards may be inferred from the favour which she always bestowed on his faithful follower sir john harrington the elder and the fact that when she was actually the sovereign of england and had rejected the addresses of many of the princes of europe harrington ventured to present her with a portrait of his deceased lord the admiral with the following descriptive sonnet of person rare strong limbs and manly shape by nature framed to serve on sea or land in friendship firm in good state or ill hap in peace headwise in war skill great bold hand on horse or foot in peril or in play none could excel though many did assay a subject true to king a servant great friend to god's truth and foe to rome's deceit sumptuous abroad for honour of the land temperate at home yet kept great state with stay and noble house that fed more mouths with meat than some advanced on higher steps to stand, yet against nature, reason, and just laws, his blood was spilt, guiltless, without just cause. The gift was accepted, and no reproof addressed to the donor. Elizabeth had six ladies of honour in her household at Hatfield, whose names were celebrated by Sir John Harrington, in a complimentary poem, which he addresses to that princess early in Mary's reign. The poem commences the great diana chaste in forest late i met did me command in haste to hatfield for to get and to you six a row her pleasure to declare thus meaning to bestow on each a gift most rare first she doth give to gray the falcon's courteous kind her lord for to obey with most obedient mind he proceeds to praise isabella markham for her modesty and beauty mrs norwich for goodness and gravity mrs st. lowe for stability mrs willoughby for being a laurel instead of a willow and mrs shipwith for prudence elizabeth chose to personate diana or paulus all her life end of section three